Acts chapter 2. Last week, you know, we looked at the ascension of Jesus. We saw that it took place 40 days after the resurrection. And 40 days is such an important number of days in Scripture. The flood was on the face of the earth for 40 days. Moses was on the mountain with God 40 days. Elijah went 40 days on the food from the angel. Ezekiel was to bear the sins of Judah 40 days. The time for Jonah to preach to the Ninevites of the impending justice and judgment of God was yet 40 days. As he began his earthly ministry, Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness fasting. And for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. During 40 days, speaking things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And as he prepared to depart, he gave instruction. And in Acts chapter 1 and and verse 4, we see the promise being spoken of. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There would be a a ten-day period from his ascension to the coming the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. Ten, again, is a number of perfection, a number of completion. They were to wait from the pro- for the promise of the Father, Jesus said, which you have heard from me. And if you remember in, in Luke chapter 24, and verse 46, Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ, the Christ, to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That's an interesting word, endued. It, it actually comes from a source that means to permeate. To permeate it with power from on high. That's an important consideration because it's not going to be something they do. It's something that God will do to them. So we move to here to Acts chapter 1 and we read more of this promise. 
The Holy Spirit, which Jesus had promised in John's gospel, was going to come upon them. It would be, if you will, an immersion. As he uses John the Baptist in the baptism of John that John used, and we would understand it has to only make sense when John baptized people in the Jordan that he put them in the water. In say, come on down into the water and I'll sprinkle you. He could do that on the shore. He didn't need to bring people down into the water. And not only that, when he baptized Jesus, what was the next thing that happened? Jesus came up out of the water. Well, if you come up out of something, you had to be down into it first, didn't you? You can't come up from being poured on. You can't come up from being sprinkled up. But you can come up from being immersed. John, truly baptized with water, you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, again, if you're hearing those words of Christ and you're hearing them for the first time, you know what John the Baptist was doing. Would you really want someone to say, and guess what? You're going to be sprinkled with the Holy Spirit. Or would you rather hear from Jesus that you're going to be immersed into the Holy Spirit? Sprinkling is something you do to a lawn. But if you really want green grass, <laughs> you immerse it in water for a while. Just as John the Baptist baptized with water, the same event was going to happen, only it would not be water, but the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Back in 386 A.D., A.D. 386, Cyril of Jerusalem, one of the early church fathers, said, they, the house that they were in became a vessel of spiritual water. As the disciples sat in, the whole house was filled. Even then, so you, you understand that he's even thinking that this is all about being immersed in the Spirit of God. The, the house became a vessel of spiritual water. As the disciples sat within, the whole house was filled. I can think that there was still much in the way of confusion. But for those who were there at the beginning of his ministry, they would remember his being baptized by John and the Spirit descending upon him as a dove. Now, if you look at verse 5, again, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He says this, you see what he said? You shall be baptized. You shall be baptized. The wording's important. He does not say, you will immerse yourselves. You will baptize yourselves. You will be baptized. When the person who is being baptized is baptized, they are passive. They're not doing anything. The one who is baptizing them is doing 
all the work. I remember one time having the privilege to baptize a fellow who's probably a little over 300 pounds. And I know that there were some people sitting out there wondering, how's he going to do it? But of course, water has great buoyancy, displacement power. And I have to admit, I had, I had a few doubts myself. And I had said, just easily let yourself go on back. I'll take you down. I will bring you back up. Don't bend your knees. Just roll back on your heels. And that's a very tough thing to do. You're, you're, a lot of people don't like going down into the water in the first place. But they don't want someone else controlling you themselves into the water. And as I brought him up out of the water, which, by the grace of God, happened, it was the hardest thing to stifle the grunt as, as I brought him up. But the, the picture that I want you to see there is no matter how big they are, they have to be passive to receive what God is giving. And the picture of them being baptized is a picture of them being passive, receiving, not going after, but receiving. Not putting themselves in this place or, or trying to grease the skid, so to speak. No, 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 no. It was going to come. The Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. He said not many days from now. He didn't tell them what day. So they couldn't point to a specific day and say, ha, this is the day. They had to even be passive about their anticipation because they didn't know what day it was all going to happen. Something is often forgotten. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. He comes in His time and He comes in His way. They're not going to bring the Spirit down. I always wonder about those who, who think, today we're going to bring the Holy Spirit down. The Holy Spirit's not a hot air balloon. The Holy Spirit is God doing as God does. And they're not going to direct His way or do anything to draw Him to them. Jesus is the one who sends the Spirit. And so He said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, what will happen? You, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you. What will be the result? You start running in place. You run around the building. You try to find a rafter to swing from. They do that a lot in many churches. 
jump over pews? What was the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit? To fill their salvation, yes, but then what would be the byproduct? What would be, why is the Holy Spirit coming upon them? Jesus says very clearly here that you will be my witnesses. Not you'll play the fool and act like you got no sense whatsoever, but you'll be my witnesses. It was already bad enough that when the day of Pentecost came, those who were out there watching and listening said, oh, they've been drinking. Can you imagine what the result would have been if these people had acted like some people who call themselves fire-baptized Christians? How that would be if they, were, if they acted the way they did. It's, it's a shame because I've seen so many videos of these things and one's looking at the other saying, are you going to move? Are you going to move? You can see just one's waiting for another one to do something. Then as soon as that one runs, then the other one says, okay, I'll run down the, hot, the hall aisle too. And, and it, it, it all seems so very orchestrated even. You'll be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's the, the promise is going to come upon them. This is what is going to happen. And now we'll look at the focus of the promise. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, it was the promise of the Father. Now that's interesting that that would come about. There are many promises made in Scripture by God. Not every promise is for everybody, though... There are some promises God made with a person and only with that person. When God called Abraham, he said, I will make of you a great nation. He said it to Abraham. He didn't say it to the rest. He didn't say of the Jews, I'll make you a great nation. He says of Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. And then he says... In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, Abraham, in your seed, will the families of the earth be blessed. Not by a specific nationality of people, not not that, but the seed that would come from Abraham would bless the whole earth. He said, I will bless those who will bless you. I, heard, I saw a commercial where a girl is using that as, as a, a pry bar to help, you, help the Jews, which there's nothing wrong with helping people who are, are destitute and in need of help, but to misuse the scripture to do that. You know, God said, if you, you help the Jews, then, then he'll bless you. He said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. It's not a blanket promise. It's not a promise to the Jews. It's a promise to Abraham. God promised David that he would not have, uh, not be without a son on his throne forever. Now, it would be foolish for us to say, first, let's start with the first one. Well, God's going to make of me a great nation. No, that promise wasn't to me. I wouldn't be saying that. And then, secondly, 
on this promise, I wouldn't look at that and say, well, you see, that promise was to David. That means David was a believer, so the promise is to me. So guess what? I'm going to have a king for a son. No, it, it doesn't work that way. But as these were personal promises, they would have perpetual benefits. I'll make of you, Abraham, a great nation. And out of that will be the seed that will bless the earth. Okay, we're all benefiting from that personal promise to Abraham. David, having a perpetual king upon his throne, we're benefited that because that's appointing to who Jesus Christ is. So we're blessed in God's promise to David. So when we come to what Jesus said uh, to those in Acts chapter 1, we need to pause for a moment. Again, as we we read in in Luke 24 and verses 46 through 49, he said in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And behold... Behold, now notice the the wording here. Behold, I am sending the promise of the Father, what? Upon you. Upon you. The ones he was speaking to at that time, he's saying, I'm going to bring the promise of the Father upon you. Why? You are witnesses of these things. You see how he puts it in the context of that time. You who are the witnesses of these things that have happened during my ministry on earth, the, you also who have gathered here in this place are the ones who will be receiving the promise of the Father. And so he says, but stay in the city till you are clothed with power from on high. Now, I, I, I'm building something here I want you to see because there are a lot of people saying Pentecost can happen all over again. No, it's not supposed to happen all over again. That's what made it all that special. That's why we're, we're pointing to it. It's a group of people in a place at a certain time that are going to experience this. It will be a unique blessing. And the promise is to them, his disciples in that place at that time. But of course, that promise fulfilled to them will have perpetual benefits and blessings for all ages. There will be a present at the inauguration of the Holy Spirit. They will be there present at the inauguration of the Holy Spirit's coming in the fullness and permanence and power. It's going to be unlike anything that ever happened before. And because the disciples were going to be the main target audience, it's interesting what took place Already being led by the Spirit, they were keen to get their number back up to the right number. Judas had left his office, and so they were instructed in Psalm 109 and verse 8, let another take his office. It's important for us to see in the history of the being an apostle that Judas was not replaced because he died. Judas was replaced because he left his office. He forsook it, his position as an apostle. The requirements to be an apostle limited to that particular time period. In chapter 1 and, and verse 26, 
Well, let's go look at verse 21. After they quoted from Psalm 109 in verse 21 of chapter 1, Therefore of these men who have accompanied us, therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning with the baptism of John to that day, he was taken up uh, from us, one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. They found two men. They prayed and said, notice this, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of men, show which of these two you have chosen. So even though they've set two aside, Christ is going to choose who number 12 is going to be. And how is it going to happen? In verse 26, they cast their lots and the lots fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So now they're, they're up to 12 once again. Through the urging of the Spirit and the approval and choosing of Christ. He's to be numbered Matthias with the 11. Just as the church was initially... Uh, set off with the 12 tribes of Israel. So the church in its final form would have as its foundation the 12 apostles. Revelation 21 and verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lord. So in chapter 2, the event that was promised, Acts chapter 2, the event that was promised takes place. Chapter 1 and verse 15 tells us there were at least 120 that were gathered together. And among them, very interestingly, was the half-brother of Jesus, who the half-brothers, they didn't believe Jesus before, but they believed him after the resurrection. And we read verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And so the event that was promised happened. There came from heaven a sound, a sound like, like a mighty rushing wind. People have often said that when a tornado was coming, the tornado sounded like a train. But they would not say a train came through the house. They say a tornado. It sounded like, using a, a simile. And that's what is going on here. It's a sound. It's not a wind. It's a sound. Like, like a mighty rushing wind. Chrysostom observed how it is always as of or like and rightly so that you might have no gross sensible notion of the spirit therefore it was not a wind see they understood that in the very early days of the church it's somewhere after things got confused but it wasn't a wind it sounded like a wind it was a sound 
more than anything else. And it's a good thing because of the fact that people are so given to wanting to have these visible, physical manifestations that I can imagine any group of people sometime get together and a door flies open and the wind starts blowing through the buildings. Ah, it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. No, it's just because someone forgot to shut the door and it's windy outside. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, was like the wind. He didn't say it was the wind. He didn't say the Holy Spirit is wind. In John chapter 3 and verse 8, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. And he said it was the Holy Spirit was like the wind. And again, from that he spoke of the freeness of the workings. The Holy Spirit works where, when, and on whom He pleases. But also He speaks of His power. It's mighty and irresistible. Go out there and yell at the wind and tell it to stop. You might look like you're off kilter a little bit. Running out there yelling at the sky. You too can be president. And here again you see Jesus' word here in the house. They only knew it came from above. It was suddenly and unexpected. That was verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound. Not, ah, just as we expected, here came the sound. They didn't really know what was coming. They knew that something was going to happen, but they didn't know when and how it was going to happen. And so it's all nothing that's been pre-programmed by them. Did you hear what I said? It was nothing that had been pre-programmed by them because you cannot program the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God. You can't program God. Who are you? The Spirit of God came here to this house, to these people, and it was irresistible. For they all had, as it says once again, uh, verse 3, then appeared to them, divided, that is cloven, Tongues, notice again, as of fire. Not flaming tongues, like some portray it, but they looked like, it looked like tongues, it looked like fire coming at them, but it wasn't. You see, if it was fire, they would have said, and there were tongues of fire, but the word tells us as of fire, means it wasn't fire. And one sat upon each of them. See, the Holy Spirit is distributing gifts as he sees fit, to whom he sees fit, at the time he sees fit. And one sat upon each of them. So it's distributed. And who's distributing it? It's the Holy Spirit that's distributing this gift. It rested on each of them, not by their direction, one sitting next to John wasn't saying, me next, me next. 
just as the Holy Spirit was working. Again, as in baptism, the one being baptized is passive. They weren't reaching out and grabbing these things. It was coming upon them. But even James would use that same kind of idea in James 3, verse 6. He would compare a tongue to fire. He wouldn't say tongue is fire. Tongue is like a fire. But what about the tongues, divided tongues? Very simple. There's no need to make anything more of it than what we clearly see. These divided tongues, what is it pointing to? Well, obviously, what do we use the tongue for? To speak. What's going to happen the very next thing when they come out of the upper room? They're going to speak. What are they going to speak? The glory of God in a given language that existed at the time that they had not studied themselves. So it was a symbol of what was to follow. Jesus said they would be his witnesses. And in just a few moments they would do that. How would they be his witnesses? By what they say and saying what they saw. Speaking a language they had never spoken before. So verse 4, And they all began, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterances. So in verses 5 and 6, And it was dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. All right, clear, important point here. When you are given a gift by the Holy Spirit, it's not for your personal consumption. It's not for your personal entertainment. When the Holy Spirit gifts you, it's to bless somebody else with it. And so these people are blessed with the ability to speak a language they had never spoken before so they can walk around and say, look, I didn't even have to go to Berlitz or any of the other courses. I, could, I can just speak this language anytime I want to. No, it wasn't about that whatsoever. It was so that they would be useful to the people standing out there who hadn't heard the great works of God in Jesus Christ. Verses 7 through 11. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each, each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. There's also this to think of. They spoke not something undistinguishable. They spoke the great words works of God in at least 15 different languages and dialects. 
If you want to put it a way you can understand, John spoke Persian. Peter spoke Cappadocian. Did he ever try to learn that before? No, no. It was a, he's speaking the great works of God in a language he had not previously studied. They were filled with zeal. The apostles were now more qualified to preach the gospel to all languages and all nations. They were filled with zeal and a desire to glorify the name of God. You see, there's something else that came with that idea of the tongues coming upon them, the things like tongues. You remember the picture of Isaiah? In Isaiah 6, before God, before Lord Jesus Christ, he says what? He said, woe is me, I'm falling apart. I'm a man of what? Unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. So what, is the, what happens? The angel takes the coal and touches his lips and says, now it's been purged. And the same thing with, with Peter and the rest of them. They've been purged of the dross of foolishness and superstition. And now they can speak the truth purely. And we see it clearly when we look at Peter's sermon, as we will next week, Lord of willing, that he becomes a master of the Old Testament, applying it to the prophecies and fulfillments of Christ. Peter is, is pulling from here, there, and everywhere. He's like a walking Old Testament. But he's not just quoting Scripture for Scripture's sake. He's saying, see, these things were written of Jesus. Applying the word to Christ. You see, as I said, there are some who will think that this event will repeat itself. And that everyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit will have a baptism of fire. But Pentecost was not to be repeated in form or in practice. What happened after he preached that day? What happened after all this went on? 3,000 were added to the church. What did they do? Take them 120 at a time, bring them in the upper room, say, y'all wait here. There's going to be a great sound come in and you're going to be filled. No, that didn't happen. The 300, the 3,000, we know what happened to them. They were baptized on profession of their faith in water. The Spirit had come upon them, not the same way that it came upon those in the upper room, because now the Spirit was here. It didn't need to do all those things all over again. A great entrance had been made. A great work had been performed, and people were changed, changed in focus, changed in understanding, changed in speech, changed in desire. The Spirit didn't come to exalt them, but fit them to exalt God. The promises made to his disciples continue to bless today and, and will to the end. The Spirit still comes. The Spirit still fills. The Spirit still gives light and life and wisdom. And he will come as he wills, when he wills, and upon whom he wills, and he will also gift them as he wills. The Holy Spirit changed the world that day. No, he wasn't working. That means also that Christ, the Son, God the Father changed 
the world that day. It's not like there's three different people doing three different operations. The Holy Spirit changed the world that day, not by what the people did, but by what He did to the people. Don't discount the power of the Holy Spirit. And by all means, don't dictate His actions. Let's stand together for prayer.